0: Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Let me begin with a story today, and I, this is a story I know that I have told before, but I just love it, and I couldn't find one that I thought uh, fit better to open the message. It's a story about a stonecutter. That's what a guy did for a living. He was a stonecutter, and one day he was delivering a slab of stone to a merchant. And while he was there with the merchant, he began to see all of the wonderful goods that the merchant had created, all of the things that he had taken the stone and carved out and created. And he thought to himself, you know, I wish I was a merchant. And in the twinkling of an eye, his wish was granted And then one day, as he's working in his store as a merchant, he begins to see a parade uh, go by out his store window with all of the splendor, and there within a chariot was a prince. And he thought to himself, boy, I really wish I was a prince. And immediately, in the twinkling of an eye, he became a prince. Until one day, he was sitting out, and the hot sun was beating down on him, and he was sweating. Wouldn't we like that today? The hot sun was beating down upon him. And he he thought to himself, you know what? I wish I was the sun greater than any man. And in the twinkling of an eye, he became a sun. And he was happy with that until one day there was a cloud that came between him and the earth. And he thought to himself, you know what? That cloud is blocking my ability to shine. That cloud is more powerful than me. I wish I was a cloud. And he became a cloud in the twinkling of an eye. And then as a cloud, he was happy to rain down upon the earth until one day as a cloud, he came to a mountain that would not let him pass. And he thought to himself, that mountain is greater than me. I wish I was a mountain. And in the twinkling of an eye, he became a mountain and he was happy until one day there was a little chisel, 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 chisel. And there was a little man who was chiseling away at the rock of the mountain. And he thought to himself, this man is greater than me, I wish I was a man who cut stone. In the twinkling of an eye he became a stone cutter once again. <laughs> and he was happy, and everyone marveled at how happy he was. I think a little poem captures the moral of that little parable well when it says this as a rule, man's a fool. Don't get don't get don't get offended, listen. As a rule, man's a fool. When it's hot, he wants it cool. When it's cool, he wants it hot. Always wanting what is not. (laughs) Does anybody know what virtue we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the virtue of contentment. Contentment. Oh, boy. Historian Arthur Schleisinger Jr. once observed that our society is marked by an indistinguishable discontent an indistinguishable discontent perhaps best captured by the 1965 hit stone uh hit song by rolling stones satisfaction come on you know it right i can't get no satisfaction right and i tried and i tried and i tried oh i tried i can't get no satisfaction right you're just all hearing wish, that. I wish I had prompted Judah ahead of time to play that, that, that little riff in there, you know, with that, right? Do you know that, that Rolling Stone Magazine, uh, a couple years back, ranked songs, uh, the 500 greatest songs, and they ranked that song as number two on the charts? Now, I don't know if, if everybody would agree, but there's something about that song that resonates with the problem of discontent that if we're, if we're honest is in every human heart, I think we battle this, this part of us, this, 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 this discontentment that steals our joy and steals our peace. And it's something that has been happening since the beginning of time. In fact, let me kind of unpack this a little bit for you. Ever since the beginning of creation, when the first creatures came on hand, there has always been someone somewhere who is unhappy with their position, let me just say, in the universe It started with an angel by the name of Lucifer, who was the brightest star in the heavenly firmament. He he, he was not satisfied to be the apex of God's creation, wanting something more than just his assigned position, even as the greatest of all created beings. And I say that because many people think Jesus was created. He was not. Jesus is God. Let me just pause for a moment. Lucifer was not created being created angel and this is the way isaiah puts it isaiah 14 starting in verse 12 how you have fallen from heaven o lucifer son of the morning how you are cut down to the ground you who weaken the nations for you said in your heart i will ascend into heaven and i will exalt my throne above the stars of god and i will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north i will ascend above the heights of the clouds i will be like the most high yet you shall be brought down to sheol to the lowest depths of the pit see lucifer He had something of of discontentment that caused him to lead a rebellion against God along with a third of the angels in heaven who joined his quest to overthrow the throne of the Lord. And, And because of his rebellion, he and a third of those angels were kicked out of heaven and he has been known as Satan and the devil with a relentless foe against God and all of his creation. Discontent. And that discontentment was something that he began to sow at the very beginning of creation, the very beginning with Adam and Eve. It was discontentment that that was one of his greatest weapons right there in the Garden of Eden against Eve's unsuspecting heart. When he began to misquote the Lord and he began to get Eve to believe that God was cheating her out of something... God was cheating her out of something. He knows that, that, that if you eat of the fruit of this tree, what is it? That you will be what? Like who? Like God, knowing good and evil. That what you have and what God has provided you with is not good enough. God is holding out on you, sowing discontent in Eve's heart and really unearthing the discontent that was also within Adam's heart. The seed of discontent brought forth a bitter harvest of disobedience and led to the loss of paradise and the entrance of evil into the world. Discontent. Ever since then, we've been an unhappy race, haven't we? Never fully satisfied with anything on earth, and we're still not satisfied thousands of years later. Benjamin Franklin declared this, contentment makes a poor man rich and discontent makes a rich man poor. Discontentment is the cancer of the soul. May I suggest that it eats away at our joy, it corrodes our happiness, it destroys our outlook on life, and it produces a terminal jaundice of the soul where everything looks negative to us. If we're not careful, we find that we cannot be happy not because there is not things in which we can find satisfaction, but truly because at the heart of things, discontent has made us unhappy. We can't be satisfied. It's not because we can't be satisfied, but we won't be satisfied. So how do we battle this this seed of discontent. How do we battle the weed, maybe not the seed, how do we battle the weeds of discontent that can grow in our hearts and instead cultivate the virtue of contentment? I want to look at two passages of scripture today, one from the old, one from the new. We're going to take a look today at Exodus 15 and also Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And I want to identify today three common fertilizers of discontentment, and then we're going to talk about some steps to overcome it some steps to overcome it. So, so what, are, what are some fertilizers? You know, fertilizer makes things grow. What are some things that with the seeds of discontentment that may be within the human heart, what fertilizes that seed and causes that discontent to grow? Well, I think number one we see in the Bible is complaining. Complaining. Oh boy, here we go, right? Exodus 15 opens up with a time of celebration. If you know anything about it, the Israelites had been enslaved in in Egypt for 400 years life was not good it was difficult it was hard and over and over again they cried out to god and god heard their prayer and god answered their prayer and he brought a deliverer by the name of moses who came and and delivered on god's promise god was the deliverer moses was the person that god used in order to come and and plague after plague after plague displays of god's power set them free and he was leading them to the land, finally, that he had promised to their ancestors, Abraham, their father, forefathers, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob. And this was the time, and we see in Exodus fourteen thirty-one, the last verse before Exodus 15 says this and when the israelites saw the mighty hand of the lord displayed against the egyptians the people feared the lord and put their trust in him and in moses his servant man isn't that awesome like that is a great verse that is like woo-hoo, look what god has done and they began to celebrate and that's what Exodus 15 begins with it was a time of celebrating they were were worshiping and, and Miriam is singing a song and the people are dancing and the people are worshiping because God delivered them and answered their prayer and yet a few verses later something happens that steals their joy and steals their victory let's look at verse 22 Exodus 15 then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. And they went into the desert of Shore. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink it because it's water, or they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place was called Marah. So people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Three days after celebration, Just three short days after declaration of their trust in the Lord, all of a sudden they find themselves in a place where they are unhappy and they are discontent and they are complaining. In the days and weeks prior, the Lord had demonstrated His mighty power in delivering them from their enemies. Something impossible. Only something that God can do. And yet somehow they come out three days and they can't find water. And when they get to a place they think is water instead of being clear water, it's bitter. And what do they do? At the moment when they begin to face some opposition, the moment they begin to experience some adversity, the moment when things just aren't Falling into their lap as quickly as they want, what did they do? They suddenly turn from trusting in the Lord, and they allow their hearts to move to a complaining spirit. Three days, three days, and instead of asking God to provide instead of seeking God and trusting God for His provision, instead they began to complain. And grumble. In fact, the waters they came to were bitter, but rather than seek the Lord, they turned to complaining, and that complaining fertilizes a seed of discontentment that is in their heart. Friends, we need to be careful we don't fall into the trap of complaining. God is gracious. Moses cries out to the Lord. And what does God provide? God provides a piece of wood that will make the bitter water sweet. Let's read about it. Verse 25. Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood and he threw it in the water and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. And he said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord, look at this, who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. God had no intention of not providing for his people. Rather, he was testing them to see if they would turn to him, if they would look to him to be their provision in the hour of need. Let us not forget in the times of adversity that God is still with us in the times of adversity and still has the power as much as he did in the times of victory. Don't allow the complaining to steal your joy and steal your victory. Don't allow yourself to move into mistrust where all of a sudden a seed of complaining begins to fertilize a discontentment in your heart against God. I love the symbolism regarding the wood. The wood that was thrown in, the stick that was thrown in, that was provided and was thrown into the bitter waters caused the bitter waters to become sweet. Bitter circumstances come to all of us, but oh, it's the cross, right? The wood, the cross of Christ that can turn bitter circumstances into sweet waters of provision. You see, he became our provision. Christ became our provision through the cross to test us to know whether we will remain satisfied in him, whether we will look to the cross to take the bitter waters of the circumstances that we face and allow them to become something sweet in our soul as we experience the provision and the healing of our God. God promises to protect He promises to heal them if they will obey him, if they will learn to trust him, if they will learn to find their satisfaction in him. Friends, there are some times where God puts us to the test. There are some times where there are circumstances that are allowed to come into our lives that seem bitter in the moment, but they are to test to see whether we will truly trust the Lord and find our satisfaction in him or whether we will turn to to fertilize the seed of discontent through. A spirit of complaining. Less than a month later, we find them complaining again. Exodus 16:2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You see, the fertilizer of discontentment is a heart in our heart. A discontented heart is complaining. And here they are grumbling and complaining. They've journeyed further into the desert. And now they couldn't find food. The food supplies were getting lower. But instead of praying and asking the Lord for His provision, what did they turn to? Grumbling and complaining. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Watch your words. Take inventory of what's coming out of your mouth. Because you'll find that when you are not praying about it, instead you're complaining about it. That perhaps it's uncovering and revealing really a discontented heart secondly second fertilizer is comparing let's turn to exodus 16 continue in that again verse 3 so here they are they grumbled against moses and aaron why the israelites said to them if only we had died by the lord's hand in egypt there here it is this is wonderful isn't it there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted but you brought us out to this desert to starve this entire assembly to death is that what egypt was like i mean that kind of sounds like egypt was a place where it was like that was like that was like that party provision central right there we sat around pots of meat we always had enough to eat egypt was wonderful that's not the way it was if you just look back a few short weeks before oh god why are we here why haven't you fulfilled your promise we're slaves in this place (laughs) oh how we look at the past with rose-colored glasses don't we egypt was a place of bondage they were mistreated they were miserable oh we sat around pots of meat how quickly they forgot the harsh treatment the cries of deliverance. You see, that's what a seed of discontent can do within our hearts. A seed of discontent in our hearts causes us to look around and begin to compare our present circumstances against possibly a past that we look at with rose colored glasses and we say, oh those were the good old days. If we could just get back there, it was wonderful back there. And meanwhile in our hearts here, we're discontented. Or we look around at others and we say, oh look what they have and I don't have that. Why don't I have that. Comparing is a is a seed of discontent that will steal your joy. It will steal your peace if you are not careful. We fall into this trap. We perceive again that someone else has something better than we do. You're satisfied with your home until uh one of your friends decides that they're gonna get a Joanna Gaines type, you know, shiplap home, right? You were satisfied with your fall decorations until this week you saw somebody else on social media put up all of their Christmas decorations and now you feel behind. What's wrong with them? We should wait till after Thanksgiving. Why are we putting up Christmas decorations now? What does it matter to you? If you want to stay in the fall, stay in the fall. That's fine. You want to put up Christmas decorations? Put up Christmas decorations. You're satisfied with your husband your kids and the christmas gifts they give you until you see on social media that somebody else got something better or got something different and you're thinking no no i'm not satisfied anymore you're satisfied with how hard your kids work in school and the grades they get until somebody has to post their straight a student look at me i made the a straight a club and now he steals your joy about how you feel about your kids and the hard work they did we are constantly in this trap of comparing. And this world today makes it so much more difficult because you get to see everybody's highlight reel. Meanwhile, you don't know the cuts that are behind the scenes. When we compare our situation, we compare our backstage to everybody else's front stage highlight reel. And we grow this spirit of discontent in our hearts. And rather than be grateful for what God has given us in this life, we find ourselves struggling with discontentment and we lose our joy and we lose our peace. There's a third one. There's a third fertilizer. It's worry. It's worry. Continuing in Exodus chapter 16, they were comparing and they were complaining and and then they get to this place where God answers miraculously. He answers miraculously in verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight, you'll eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread and then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. Does anybody know what the bread was called that was provided for them? manna right it was manna it would just show up in the morning they didn't have to make it they didn't have to they didn't have to farm for it they didn't have to sow seed they didn't have all they had to do was wake up and collect it manna on the ground quail in the evening And in verse 17, the Israelites did as they were told, some gathered as much, some gathered little, and when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little, everyone had gathered as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Everybody had what they need. You see, this is an exact picture of what we have in God, that God always gives us just what we need. God always gives us just what we need. And there are times where God gives us more than what we need because He's generous and He's gracious. But He'll never give you less than what you need. He'll never give you less than what you need. He he always provides us with what we need, whether it is little or whether it is much. Everyone has what they needed. You see, true contentment is found when we recognize that in Jesus, the bread of life, we have everything that we need. It's about learning how to be satisfied in Jesus. The instructions were not to keep any of it till morning. Only take what you need. Don't take any extra. Don't try to store it away. Don't try to hoard it. Don't, don't try to do that. Just, just, just do it. Why? Was this because we're not supposed to plan? We're not supposed to prepare? No, 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 no. It was a test if they would trust God each day to provide them with what they needed understand something their look and glorification of the past was because they saw egypt and pharaoh as much as they hated it as their provider as slaves egypt provided what they needed now they were outside of egypt and they had to learn to turn their trust from trusting in egypt and what egypt would provide and trusting in pharaoh and what pharaoh would provide to trusting in god and what god would provide I don't know if you're getting it or not, but your employer is not your provider. Your president is not your provider. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You may have a great 401k, but Wall Street is not your provider. The Israelites were being learned, to, they, were, they were learning to lean in and trust God. They were learning to see that God is their provider. But some of them, they didn't obey. They had, some, they had some issues. Verse 20, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Why? Why'd they keep some of it till morning? Because they were worried that they would not have enough. They were worried that they would not have enough. They were worried that God would not provide. They were worried that it wouldn't come in. They were worried about tomorrow. And when you worry about tomorrow, it steals your peace today. And when you worry about tomorrow, you can't enjoy today because you're too worried about what you might not have tomorrow. Friends, it's a mindset and it's a heart that is revealed in discontent and worry will fertilize the seed of discontent and mistrust towards God in our heart. Faith they were worried getting low on water they were worried they complained they became discontented they compared worries worries a trap that leads us to hold on to control and not trust in the lord So, how do we overcome the trap of discontent and how do we begin to cultivate a seed of contentment, the virtue of contentment in our heart? Well, in the New Testament, if we flip to the New Testament, we find that the Greek word translated enough or sufficient. Is, is to be strong enough. This this Greek word here for contentment is enough, sufficient to be strong enough. In other places of scripture, Paul wrote in his letter to encourage his young apprentice in the faith, Timothy, and this is what he writes in, in 1 Timothy 6, 6-8, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content there is a relationship between godliness and contentment they go hand in hand like a hand in a glove paul experienced many ups and downs throughout his life and his ministry and he understood this and when he wrote to the church in philippi he said this not that i'm speaking of being in need for i have learned in whatever situation i am to be content i know how to be brought low and i know how to abound In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment is something that we can learn. We can learn to be content. Paul said, I have learned it. I have learned the secret of contentment. And what was the secret of contentment? I've learned the secret. Placing henny, uh, play, facing plenty or hunger. Abundance or need. What, what did he lean into? This is where we lean into Philippians 4.13 that we love to quote. I can do all things through who? Christ. Who strengthens me? Who is the provision of a contented heart? Where does a contented heart find itself? It finds its sufficiency in Jesus that Jesus is enough. See, that's what the Israelites refused to see. They continue to fertilize the seeds of discontent through complaining and comparing and worry rather than to lift their eyes to a sufficient God who is a promise-keeping God who is able to meet their needs and demonstrated it over and over and over again. He was sufficient to meet their needs and he was sufficient to calm their fears. You may ask, well, how do we lean into the sufficiency of Jesus? Let me give you two quick reminders here of how to cultivate the virtue of, of contentment in your heart. Number one is this. We can be content because God's resources are limitless. We can be content because God's resources are limitless. In another familiar passage, Paul had a physical infirmity. We've preached on this before. You might remember that uh, he had a, what he described as a, a thorn in the flesh, and he had prayed for God to remove it. And this is, this is, this is what, what was written three times... I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest on me. The Lord said to Paul, Paul, don't be discontented. Don't be, I I know you want me to remove that, but don't be, don't be discontented. I'm about to, I'm going to about to teach you something. I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to teach you how to lean into my sufficiency. I'm going to teach you how to, how to lean into my grace, which is sufficient for you. Whether I remove it or whether I don't, that's not the issue. I want to teach you how to find your sufficiency in my grace, how to depend on me to meet your need, how to depend on me each and every day. The Israelites refused to see that. They had unlimited resources, an unlimited power at their disposal, the power of God. They had manna from heaven that they didn't even have to work for and they didn't even have to cultivate. They saw that God provided water from a rock. How many of you gotten water from a rock lately? How many have gone out there to a rock and you've decided you're going to twist it like you do a washcloth? Water ever come out of that? but yet God provided water from a rock and and manna from heaven and protection from the desert sun during the day and the fire of his presence to warm them at night. And scripture later says that the very shoes on their feet the entire time they wandered in the wilderness did not wear out. Did not wear out. His presence was guiding them each and every day, trusting that He was enough. That's a great picture, isn't it? That's a parable about Jesus. Jesus is that sufficiency. He is the rock in which we we receive what we need in our lives. He quenches every thirst that you have. (laughs) Right? Who is thirsty? He's the rock and he's the bread of life they're pictures of jesus pictures of what we find in his provision oh what a treasure jesus is that's like the parable he shared about a man who found a treasure hidden in a field matthew 13 the kingdom of heaven's like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up and then in his joy he goes out and sells all that he has and buys that field Fifteen minutes before the man found the treasure, what would he have been like? Would he have been content at that point, 15 minutes before he found the treasure, to sell all that he had and give it away? Probably not. Oh, but 15 minutes after he found the treasure, he's running off to the auctioneer (laughs) to sell all that he had. Why? What was the difference? The difference was the treasure. The difference was the treasure where your treasure is there your heart will be also and when we become discontented oftentimes it's because we have our treasure in the wrong place we begin to treasure the things of this earth more than we begin to treasure the sufficiency of jesus who in every season, in every day, is more than sufficient to meet whatever need you face, whatever needs you have, whatever situation you have. Jesus is a treasure that surpasses them all. (laughs) Because when we have Jesus, He is enough. Secondly, not only can we be content because He has unlimited resources, but we can be content because God's presence is constant. God's presence is constant. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, worry and and. and, and this this sense of I need to feel this sense of security can oftentimes lead to and fertilize a seed of discontentment. And that was certainly of the case for the Israelites that we talked about earlier. They continue, fell in that trap that they were gonna die in the wilderness, that, that, that they that they they, they they weren't gonna be able to make it, and yet, yet, right in front of them is the presence of God. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. His his presence and His power bringing them to Mount Sinai, speaking to them from the mountain, giving them the Ten Commandments over and over and over and over again. God had been faithful even when they were faithless. And they refused to acknowledge and find their security in His presence. But we can cultivate contentment if we will learn how to value and run into His presence. Oh, to run into His presence. To move into His presence. David understood this. Psalm 139, starting in verse 7, For where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me shall be night. That's the darkest place of the soul. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. Some of you face some dark times. You face some dark days. You battle some times where it seems like the darkness is overshadowing you. And David had some dark days in his life. One in which he was rejected by his own people and by Saul and running and rejected by his enemies, the Philistines, who he had decided to flee from and then coming back with his own men to, to, to the camp and found that, that the camp had been overturned and that enemies had come in and taken all of their families and their possessions and burned, burned it at Ziklag, burned everything down and had left. And the Bible says that in the darkness when his own men spoke of stoning him and killing him, rejected by his own people, rejected by the enemies, and rejected by the the people who had been his closest friends and the people who had been loyal and with him. It says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Why? Because David knew that even in the darkest times, in the darkest places of your life, that God is as light, that he is with you, that he never leaves you, and he never forsakes you, and you cannot get away from his presence. You can't get away from his presence. And because of that, when you press into his presence and you begin to recognize that even in the dark times, he is with you, you find that you begin to cultivate a contentment in God that surpasses your circumstances and surpasses your need because you find that his grace is sufficient for you. I want to close with a story. Worship team, will you come? Tim Vanderveen was a young man from Spring Lake, Michigan. And he was a, a student, a pretty good student at, 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 at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. He was a tall man. He had broad shoulders, curly hair. He had a smile that was as bright as the dawn, and he was handsome as they come. And in the early 90s, after graduating from college, he took a a job at Johnson Controls and soon found himself working up the ladder pretty quickly of success. On a raw bone, wind whip, November afternoon, Tim called a good friend of his who was a former professor at his college and also a a pastor uh, by the name of Tim Brown. And Professor Brown, when he answered the phone, he said, "'Hey, Tim, how you doing?' And instead, he heard a weak, trembling voice on the other end of the phone that said, oh, I'm not doing so good. And so Professor Brown asked what was going on, and Tim said that he was in a hospital in Grand Rapids. He got the flu or something, and his folks were out of the country. Well, Professor Brown just happened to be in Grand Rapids that day and asked him if it would be okay if he could stop by for a visit. And Tim said, I'd like that. When the professor came into the hospital room at the time that he had, had come in, There was a diagnosis that had come quickly before that, that it wasn't the flu, it was leukemia. And Tim began an arduous battle with leukemia three years, and nearly three years later Professor Brown once again returned to visit Tim in room 5255 in Spectrum Hospital. Tim's mom happened to be sitting there in the room crying softly in the corner. Tim was laying on his side, they had positioned pillows. Between his skinny little legs, his hair wasn't curly anymore, and there wasn't enough energy in him uh, at all to even pick up his head and look at Professor Brown. So Professor Brown got down on one knee so that he could look Tim, who was laying on his side, in the eyeballs straight ahead. And he said, hi, Tim. And Tim responded with, hi, Professor. And there was this long, awkward pause. And in that moment, Professor Brown, who had been a pastor for so long, found himself, and I've been in this place myself, where you simply don't know what to say. Words are just not sufficient. You ever been in that moment? Words are just not sufficient. Tim broke the silence, and he said, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot over the last three years. Here's what I've learned. Life is is not like a VCR. Some of you who are younger have to look up what VCR is, all right? And not understanding, Professor Brown, probably like many of us, said, I don't get it, Tim. What, what do you mean? Life is not like a, a VCR. And Tim said, it's not like a VCR. You can't fast forward through the bad parts. And there was this long pause. And again, the professor didn't know what to say, but he had, he had learned that, that you, know, you, you just have to sit and wait a moment. Tim gathered his strength once again and he said but here's what I've learned although you can't fast forward through the bad parts Jesus Christ is in every frame and he says this and right now that's enough and right now that's enough you can't fast forward through all the bad parts but oh friends Jesus Christ is in every frame Jesus Christ is in every frame. And that is enough, that is enough. Friends, do you know and have your satisfaction in your heart Contented in Jesus is Jesus sufficient to meet your need is Jesus sufficient for what you have in your life is his presence enough is, is the resources that he have unlimited enough for you is your heart contented in Christ or have you shifted your contentment onto the things of this world that do not satisfy where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal has your joy been stolen by the thief who comes to so dis? Discontentment in your heart like he did in Adam and Eve into so discontentment you see that's what he comes to do because that's who he is that's his nature but we have a God who says I am sufficient to meet all of your needs I am sufficient my grace is sufficient is Jesus enough if you lost everything could you still say Jesus is enough Jesus is enough let's bow our heads I know there may be some of you who are going through some difficult things right now and it's hard when you're in the moment and it's hard when the darkness is settling in and you can't seem to see the light but I want to tell you this morning friends that Jesus is enough Jesus is is enough. Jesus is sufficient. I want I want you to, to find that joy and that peace again. That joy and that peace again in Jesus. And if you've been battling discontent and today you just want to just want to declare and renew Jesus, you're sufficient. Will you slip up your hand today? Jesus, Jesus, you're sufficient. Will you take that step today? Jesus, you're sufficient. Jesus, you're sufficient. Father, we just thank you today that you are sufficient to meet our needs, God, according to your riches and glory. Father, may we not, may we not fall into the, the trap of fertilizing a discontented heart by complaining or comparing or worry but that we would press into you in praise and in worship and in prayer and we would begin to find in you the unlimited resources that our heart so desperately needs, the prescription God for the discontent in our soul, and that, Father, we would find in you that there is a presence that surpasses and breaks through even the darkest hour, that we would find, God, a presence of you that is in every frame of our lives and that you are enough. You are enough. Lord, we bless you today. May we continue to find and cultivate a heart of contentment in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, Visit PainesvilleAG.com.